0: God deserves every praise from every creature, every day. This is the Everyday Christian Podcast. Season 2, Episode 16 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green, and today is the last episode of Season 2. It's going to be a good one, I think. We're going to talk about another listener request. We're going to talk about apologetics for this episode. I can't believe how quickly this season has come and gone. In fact, I can't believe how quickly Season 1 and season two have coming on, gone, but it has, and I certainly appreciate you as the listener for sticking with us, and uh, we've definitely got some some loyal listeners in a lot of places, and uh, I'll run through a few of those briefly and kind of give you a shout out. We've got a lot of listeners from Texas, actually 18.2% of our listeners come from Texas, we've got uh, well over 100 downloads there. Also, we've got a lot of listeners in Oklahoma, uh, where I'm living now, and uh, that makes up almost 10% of our listeners. A lot of people in Louisiana as well, uh, in the top three, and that's where I'm from, so appreciate everybody back home listening. We've also got a lot of listeners in Arizona, in Georgia, in Tennessee, and even in New York, which I was kind of surprised to see, but very thankful for that. Uh, Mississippi, Illinois in Wisconsin, uh, rounding out the top 10. So I appreciate everybody that listens, and uh, we've got over 30 states now, I think. We've got seven or eight different countries, I believe, so uh, just really neat to look at that and see where people are listening uh, to the podcast. Well, today, for our last episode, we're going to discuss my five favorite Christian evidences as we talk about apologetics, defending our faith. Uh, which has sadly become under attack uh, with, with atheism, with evolutionary hypotheses, and that sort of thing. Now, before we get into that subject, I want to talk about next season, season number three. That'll be our first season with the Scattered Abroad Network. And I've tried to promote this pretty heavily on the podcast, and for good reason. We're going to have a lot of really exciting things going on with that. And we're going to kick that off in January. So I would encourage you, if you would, please uh, mark that on your calendar and look forward to January. And we'll be doing uh, the Everyday Christian podcast on Mondays, starting in January. So keep that in mind. Uh, but we've got lots of different podcast options on the Scattered Abroad network of podcasts. And I'd like to kind of plug some of those at this time. We've got The Way Podcast with a good buddy Houston Welch. Uh, he was a wraparound student at uh, the Memphis School of Preaching when I was there. He's a really good guy, so I know you'll enjoy that. Also, the Asking God Why podcast with Jameson Stewart. Uh, this is a podcast that asks difficult questions. Some of those things that you you wonder about, and if you could ask God that question, well, he discusses some of those. And in his first season, he talked about Job and certainly a lot of questions that Job had, and um, it can help us uh, as we cope with the various difficulties of life. The Transformed Podcast with Caleb Rutherford. I've had him on my podcast before to discuss uh, sports. Uh, By the way, I've also had Jameson Stewart. Um, But the Transformed Podcast is a good podcast that discusses uh, being transformed as Christians, Romans chapter 12. The Diligent Podcast, that's going to be a if I understand correctly, a an Upstart podcast with uh, Joshua Cantrell. And then the Far Better podcast with uh, Michael Clark. And then also the Weathering the Storm podcast with Drew Suttles. And he's been on our, our podcast as well. Now, it was also announced recently that we're going to have some new bloggers and podcasters coming in as well. Daniel Webster is one of those. And uh, I believe he's getting a podcast, but he's also going to be handling the the graphic design work for the Scattered Abroad Network. That's very exciting. He's a very, very talented uh, fellow at that. And then also Marlon Raton, And uh, I've been a a part of supporting his work in Panama uh, with my previous congregation, and uh, he does a great job down there. But he's going to be moving to Texas and working with World Video Bible School and translating a lot of their materials into Spanish. Well, he's also going to help us uh, with the Scattered Abroad Network and translating our materials into Spanish. And eventually he's going to have his own Spanish podcast as well. So um, if you maybe Spanish is your first language, uh, you might look forward to that with uh, Marlon Rotana. So lots of exciting things going on with this Scattered Abroad Network. Please keep us in your prayers. Uh, we're looking for supporters, too, as well. So. If that's something you'd consider, we, we'd appreciate that. And um, also just, just help us by promoting this, um, promoting it on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, sharing it with your friends, and help us by liking and uh, listening to our episodes, subscribing. Give us a rating in the app store that you listen to podcast on, and, and that'll help us a lot to help grow these various podcasts uh, and the network. So again, Scattered Abroad, coming in January of 2021. So I hope that you will uh, look forward to that as we are looking forward to that. All right, without further ado, as we talk about Christian evidences, my top five favorite Christian evidences. And most of these involve three words, dinosaurs, 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 dinosaurs. I remember as a kid, I loved dinosaurs. I had plenty of the little figurines and played with those, and that was a lot of fun. And, you know, I also can remember playing computer programs, watching TV shows, that, you know, documentary style shows that dealt with dinosaurs. And I can remember from a young age being taught millions and millions and maybe even billions of years how long ago, prehistoric, that is, before man, these dinosaurs lived. Well, that's not true. Uh, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that uh, the animals that would be characterized as dinosaurs, at least most of them, were made on day six of creation, and uh, maybe the the flying ones and the the uh, the sea ones, you know, the, the ocean dwelling ones before that. But the land dwelling dinosaurs, they were they were made on day six of creation, according to the Book of Genesis. Now that is very unpopular today, and sadly, even some Christians would disagree with that. We have uh in many circles what is known as a theistic evolutionist, and somehow they try to mix their faith with the idea of evolution and You simply can't do that; uh, the two do not go together at all, so Christian evidences then is trying to show that we can believe we can have faith in creation as described in the Bible. And there's lots of evidence for it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Uh, But there also are a lot of hands-on evidences, too, that we can look at that can help increase our faith in our Creator. And uh, again, uh, reading the Bible through literally as inspired of God, which we affirm that, uh, we believe that. Well, if we're going to do that, we have to realize that it is not at all compatible with the evolutionary theories. So, my top five favorite Christian evidences. Number five, in decreasing order, the petroglyphs of dinosaurs. Now, I'm going to give two examples of these in both of these examples, uh, you can look at an article that I'm using as a reference point for this. And the title of that article is Physical Evidence for the Coexistence of Dinosaurs and Humans, Part 1, by Eric Lyons and Kyle Butt on Apologetics Press. Okay, So I'm trying to give full credit where credit is due. I'm going to be reading from these articles. And again, I want to make sure that everybody knows uh, uh, this is their material. So, again, the the article title is Physical Evidence for the Coexistence of Dinosaurs and Humans, Part 1, by Eric Lyons and Kyle Butt from Apologetics Press. And I want to give you the link to this article and and several other articles we'll discuss in a minute uh, in the show notes. Please go and look at that link. And uh, that will give you even more details, more information on this. You can also see the pictures. Uh, This is an audio podcast. Uh, I'm not recording it uh, on video, so you can't see pictures. But go and look at these pictures, and they're truly amazing, and they will help increase your faith in uh, God's Word and what He says about these dinosaurs and, and some other things we'll talk about in just a moment. All right, so my number five, again, is petroglyphs of dinosaurs. Now, there's two examples that I'd like to point out. And the first one is the Kachina Bridge in Lake Powell, Utah. The Kachina Bridge, K-A-C-H-I-N-A Bridge in Lake Powell, Utah. Search this, uh, Google it, and you'll see what we're talking about. But I'm going to go ahead and read from that article from Apologetics Press, the the, uh, Apatosaurus of southeastern Utah. On the underside of the third-largest natural bridge in the world, Kachina Bridge, several petroglyphs and pictographs exist, which rock art experts believe to be anywhere from 500 to 1,500 years old. The carvings are believed to be the work of the Anasazi Indians who once lived in that area of southeastern Utah. A mountain goat, a human figure, multiple handprints, and many other carvings and drawings can be seen quite easily underneath the bridge on both sides of the span. The most fascinating piece of rock art at Kachina Bridge, however, is the petroglyph of a dinosaur, located to the right of the span, about 10 feet from the ground. This figure, which is carved into the rock, has a long, thick tail, a long neck, a wide midsection, and a small head. I'm going to repeat that. This figure, which is carved into the rock, has a long, thick tail, a long and thick, a long neck, a wide midsection, or body, and a small head. Picture that in your mind any unbiased visitor to Kachina Bridge would have to admit that this particular petroglyph looks like a dinosaur, specifically a Patosaurus, more popularly known as Brontosaurus. In May of 2004, after examining this petroglyph firsthand and taking many pictures of it, as well as of the surrounding rock art, we, that is, uh, Eric Lyons and Kyle Butt, visited the Natural Bridges National Monument Visitor Center where we spoke with one of the staff members. Upon informing the Natural Bridges assistant that we had just hiked down to the base of Kachina Bridge, she immediately asked if we saw the petroglyph that resembles a dinosaur. We acknowledged that we had. And then asked her how they explained such an anomaly. If, according to evolutionary scientists, humans never lived with dinosaurs, how did the Anasazis, who inhabited southeastern Utah from AD 500 to 1450, carve such an accurate picture of an Apatosaurus onto the side of a rock wall? Now, let me break from the article for a minute and just think about this. If you drew an anatomically accurate picture of some very large animal, a very unique animal, such as an Apatosaurus. If you drew that, but had never seen one at all, what is the chances that you would have been able to draw one that looks highly accurately like that animal? Well, the, the chances would be extremely slim if you had not seen one, or at least seen a picture of one, right? Well, we know they didn't have uh, photographs of these, these animals going ar- going around back in the 500s to 1500s A.D. They could draw pictures, though, and that's exactly what they did. But where did they see these? They had to have seen them in person. So keep that in mind. Well, here's the lady's response. Her response they don't really want to explain it after being politely pressed for more information, she indicated that the petroglyph was carved too early to be a horse because the Anasazis did not have horses. By the way, this petroglyph this petroglyph looks absolutely nothing like a horse. It looks like a dinosaur, and so anybody who is trying to say, "Oh, it must be a horse." I mean, that's complete nonsense. It does not look like a horse. She also commented that some people actually think it really is a picture of a dinosaur, but, quote, they are crazy. She further explained that there are petroglyphs that resemble mammoths around this area. So the petroglyph at Kachina Bridge may be just, and then quote, some monster that the Anasazes carved onto the rock. Right. If you look at this picture, and I encourage you to do so, look up Kachina Bridge dinosaur picture, and you'll find it. That's exactly what it looks like. It looks like a dinosaur. It looks like a brontosaurus. So that is the Kachina Bridge. But I also want to discuss another such petroglyph, and that is the Havasupai Canyon in Arizona. The Havasupai Canyon in Arizona. This is from that same Apologetics Press article. Now, there was a a man by the name of Dr. Samuel Hubbard in the late 1800s and early 1900s who went to this area in the southwest of the United States, uh, in this case Arizona, and studied out various rock art, like we're talking about. Now, in this area, there are pictures or pictographs of ibexes, which an ibex is a type of mountain goat that evidently lived in America at some point. Now, if I understand correctly, there have never been specimens found of ibex, but we do see pictures on rock art, so they must have lived here. Uh, but there are also pictographs of elephants, rhinoceroses, uh, and and some other animals as well, mammoths, uh, that have lived or, or that have been found on these pictographs. And so that has to mean one of two things. It has to mean they either saw those, in some distant land like Africa, which is highly unlikely, how in the world did they get from Africa to the to the United States in a short period of time and then go and write those pictures? Or they must have seen these animals in person. Now, fossils have been found of, of American rhinoceroses and American elephants. You can look these up. I didn't know that there were elephants that lived in America. Uh, there were mammoths, which are obviously very similar to, to elephants, but there were actual uh, animals that were even more similar in size and, and so on to what we would consider Asian and African elephants. But they lived in America at one point. Those pictographs have been found, and also those fossils have been found. Keeping that in mind, Dr. Samuel Hubbard also found something else in a pictograph. Okay, so this is where we're going to pick up with the reading. Although ancient American elephant and ibex rock art is fascinating in and of itself, as is the American rhinoceros carved on a rock wall near Moab, Utah, what caught Hubbard's attention more than anything else at Havasupai was a figure cut into the sandstone much more deeply than the elephant. Its height was 11.2 inches, had a neck approximately 5.1 inches in length and a, t- a tail right at 9.1 inches. In other words, an extremely long neck, uh, this is just me saying this, an extremely long neck and an extremely long tail. Back to the quote. Hubbard photographed the petroglyph and eventually placed it in the scientific monograph he authored, titled Discoveries Relating to Prehistoric Man by the Doheny Scientific Expedition in the Havai Supai Canyon, uh, 1925. What kind of animal is it? What kind of animal had a long neck, long tail, wide body, and once roamed northern Arizona? Dr. Hubbard believed that he had found an ancient drawing of a dinosaur. He wrote, The fact that some prehistoric man made a pictograph of a dinosaur on the walls of this canyon upsets completely All of our theories regarding the antiquity of man, the fact that the animal is upright and balanced on its tail, would seem to indicate that the prehistoric artist must have seen it alive. Evidence that dinosaurs were in the vicinity is proven by the tracks, which were identified by Mr. Gilmore, a vertebrate paleontologist and renowned dinosaur fossil hunter. As belonging to one of the carnivorous dinosaurs. According to Hubbard, these tracks were in the painted desert not over 100 miles from the picture. So, what's the point that they're making? The point is that they had to have seen these animals, these dinosaurs, in person for them to be able to accurately depict the anatomy of these dinosaurs, and also the the way that these dinosaurs stood. Think about it. Could these people have stumbled upon some dinosaur fossils? Well, sure they could have. But they didn't have the scientific technology to reconstruct those dinosaur fossils. You, you find head bones and neck bones and, and torso bones and leg bones and tail bones, and you put all those together... Well, yeah, we can do that now, but 1,500 years ago, they couldn't do that. And so how in the world would they have known what these dinosaurs looked like? The only reasonable explanation is they must have seen them. They must have. So that's my number five favorite Christian evidence. Now, number four is actually an evidence that is internally found In the scriptures themselves. My number four. Favorite Christian evidence. Is dinosaur descriptions. That have actually been found. In God's word. Let's turn and read Job. Chapter 40. Verses 15 through 24. Job chapter 40. Verses 15. Through 24. Let's learn about. Mr. Behemoth. Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. Okay, so far so good. There's lots of animals that eat grass like oxen. But if you notice your footnote, when it says behemoth, you you look at the footnote, it probably says a large animal, exact identity unknown. It might say a rhinoceros, a hippo-like creature, something of that nature. Well, let's keep reading. Let's see if this could possibly be a rhinoceros or a hippo. See now, his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. Well, that could describe a a rhinoceros or a hippo or maybe an elephant. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 17. He moves his tail like a cedar, the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. All right, he's describing massive thighs and more importantly, a tail that is like a cedar tree. Now if you look at a hippo, a rhinoceros, and an elephant, in all three cases you're gonna find straggly little tails that are very little, okay? This can't be any of those, but it could be a brontosaurus, it could be an apatosaurus, it could be some other type of sauropod dinosaur. In fact, I believe wholeheartedly that's what this is. He moves his tail like a cedar tree. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs like bars of iron. Again, this is a massive creature. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. This is the picture of an almost invincible animal. Only God can kill it, is the idea. Surely the mountains yield food for him, and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees, in a covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade, the willows by the brooks around him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident. Though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with a snare. Human interaction with this animal. Notice, one may come upon this animal and pierce the nose with a snare uh, to domesticate this animal. (laughs) Yeah, right, right? Some people are thinking, what? No way. Yes, and we're going to notice that in a moment as well. But that's what's going on here. This is an animal that moves his tail like a cedar tree. The only animal I can think of that has a tail that's as big as a cedar tree is a brontosaurus or some other sauropod type dinosaur. That's got to be what this is. Well, let's look at chapter 41. Let's see another dinosaur in the scriptures. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? My Bible footnote says a large sea creature, exact identity, unknown. Well, we're going to notice it does appear to be a sea creature, but what kind of sea creature? Okay. Can you draw him out with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you leash him for your your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons, or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. You mess with this animal, you're probably not going to survive, is the idea. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. God speaking in those last two verses. Well, really all of this, but speaking of himself in those last two verses. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? All right, notice that. Terrible teeth. What are dinosaurs called? Terrible lizards. Okay? He's got terrible teeth all around. His row of scales. Okay? What kind of animals have scales? Fish and reptiles. His row of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. Think scales like strong armor that cannot be taken away from this animal. His sneezings flash forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. What does this have to be? It's got to be a fire-breathing dinosaur. A fire-breathing dragon. Possibly one that lived in the sea or lived near the sea, maybe in an aquatic, marshy-type environment. If you study this, you'll notice that some... People believe that the duck-billed dinosaurs, the reason they had these these large sinus pockets in their duck-billed areas and, and on the crown of their head, why they had those? They believed that there were gases stored in those so that they could breathe fire. Look that up. It's, it's quite fascinating. Well, that's what's being described here in Job 41. His sneezing flash forth light. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. Thick, armorous. Scales. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. That sounds a whole lot like a dinosaur. And Job, being inspired by God, is speaking as if if he has seen this massive animal. Truly amazing that we have described for us this behemoth and this leviathan, and that's why that's number four on my list of top five favorite Christian evidences. Number three. My number three favorite Christian evidence, as we take a break from dinosaurs for a moment, I want to talk about polystrate fossils. Now, I'm going to read from another article from Apologetics Press. This one is entitled 21 Reasons to Believe the Earth is Young by Dr. Jeff Miller. Again, I'll post this link to the article in the show notes. Click that link, read this, you'll profit greatly from it. 21 Reasons to Believe the Earth is Young by Dr. Jeff Miller. On that list, his number two reason is polystrate fossils. Now, in order to know something about polystrate fossils, we need to understand that evolutionary geologists believe what is called uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism is the idea proposed by these scientists that geologic processes such as erosion, happen and proceed at the same incredibly slow rate over all time. Other examples might be the buildup of soil into various layers known as the geologic column. Okay? Well, this is the idea that the various layers, and, and there's no doubt that there are layers, but they think that the various layers of the soil various colors and you can you can see various uh depths of these layers but each layer according to uniformitarian geologic scientist evolutionary scientist according to them they say that each layer represents a different period in history of millions and millions of years. Well, how do they figure that out? Well, they say, well, this layer is X amount of millions of years old because of the the rocks and the fossils that are found in it. Well, how do you know how old those rocks and fossils are? And they'll say, well, because of the layer that it was found in. And obviously that's circular reasoning. It doesn't add up. It's not logical. But that's what they'll say. Okay. Well, polystrate fossils throw the whole evolutionary geologic column theory completely out of whack. Because, again, they say that each layer is millions of years different than the layer above it and the layer below it in the geologic column. Well, let's read from the article, 21 Reasons to Believe the Earth is Young, his number two reason, Dr. Jeff Miller, polystrate fossils. Fossils that are in between layers they they're vertical and they're in two, three, four layers. Why are those polystrate fossils disproving of evolution? Let's read perhaps the most widely used argument for a millions of years old earth historically has been the rock layers of the geologic column. It would take millions of years for the thousands of meters of material beneath us to accumulate. And lithify, turn into stone, basically, or so the argument goes. Is that true? A polystrate fossil is a single fossil that spans more than one geologic stratum. Many polystrate tree trunk fossils have been discovered, as well as a baleen whale, swamp plants called calamites and catfish. Polystrate fossils prove that both the rock layers of the geologic column and the surfaces between them do not require millions of years of slow and gradual accumulation and lithification. I would add uniformitarianism there. Let me read that again. Polystrate fossils prove that both the rock layers of the geologic column and the surfaces between them do not require millions of years of slow and gradual accumulation and lithification. After all, how could a tree escape its inevitable decay while sticking out of the ground for millions of years with its roots dead and lithified while it waited to be slowly covered with sediment? Polystrate fossils provide evidence that the rock strata have formed rapidly fast enough to preserve organic materials before their decay, in other words, fossils are formed very quickly in very specific um, conditions situations, high pressure, high heat, boom fossils form, and somehow some of these fossils are sticking through multiple layers of strata uh, of the geologic column that are supposedly, according to the evolutionist, different layers of various times separated by millions and millions and millions of years. And yet one tree or one catfish, etc., is sticking through multiple layers, completely does away with the idea of the geologic column and uniformitarianism. So that's my number three uh, Christian evidence and one of my favorites. Number two, the Ica stones. I love the Ica stones. These are really neat. They're these black stones that have pictures of South American uh, Indians. And on them, they have also Various uh, animals, including, you guessed it, dinosaurs. And the dinosaurs are pictured with people. The ecostomes. For this one, we're going to look at physical evidence for the coexistence of dinosaurs and humans. Again, we mentioned that one earlier. But this one's part two, okay, by Eric Lyons and Kyle Butt. The ecostombs. There is, in uh, Peru, Ica, Peru, there is a Ica Stone Museum. There, there are 11,000 of these Ica Stones, these black stones with these various depictions on them. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and read to you from that article. The stones are controversial, to say the least. Depicted on the stones are what appear to be relics of an ancient Indian culture that predated the Incas. Many of the carved stones exhibit mundane scenes that would be expected in any ancient culture. But some of the carvings portray humans in close contact with dinosaurs. Scenes of men hunting dinosaurs, riding dinosaurs, and leading them by ropes around their necks present a glaring problem for the evolutionary scenario that humans and dinosaurs were separated by millions of years. Because of the dinosaur carvings on the stone, the evolutionary scientific community has labeled the entire collection a fraud. Of course, that is exactly what would be expected, since the authentication of the stones would effectively annihilate decades of evolutionary propaganda as it relates to dinosaurs. Now, I want to stop right there and say this. Evidently, there are some obvious fakes that have been found with this collection and added to the collection. But the question is, are all of the Inca stones are they fakes, or are many of them real and to answer that, we're going to continue reading in uh, this apologetics press article. but let me go ahead and say this: Could it be possible that someone found a lot of these authentic Ika stones, and then said, hey, I want to make one of those. And so they made some and added them to this collection. Well, of course, that's within the realm of possibility. Now, there have been some that have been found. I mean, this is proven. There have been some that have been found that are obvious uh, replicas or, or frauds or what what have you. Okay. But let's read continuing further in this Apologetics Press article if all of them are the case. Now, this article mentions a man by the name of Basilio Yachua. Yachuya. I'm not sure if I pronounce that right. Uh, but he's the one with his wife, Irma, who made the fakes. Okay? Evidence of the Stone's Authenticity. Numerous reasons to accept the authenticity of the Stones present themselves. Dennis Swift has listed several of these reasons in his books... In his book, Secrets of the Ica Stones and Nazca Lines, consider the following two extremely powerful arguments. First, Swift obtained a stone from a Nazca tomb that was excavated in 2001. The stone depicted a sauropod dinosaur. Swift also had Basilio Uchua carve a fraudulent stone both of which Swift submitted to intense microscopic analysis. The stone from the Nazca tomb contained human hair and scalp tissues and other evidence of age. Swift noted, This stone had a heavy coat of patination and oxidation. Microorganisms could be seen in the grooves and in the incisions. There is a uniformity of coloration and weathering. The incisions and cuts are as dark and weathered as the rest of the stone. There are several thick concentrations of saltpeter that are so full of salt buildup that it covers parts of the carving with a white layer obscuring the image below. There is notable irregular wear on the edges of the incisions that leads one to the inescapable conclusion that this stone had undergone considerable wear. The salient conclusion of the laboratory is that the stone is of some age, in fact, of antiquity of hundreds or thousands of years old. When submitted to microscopic analysis, the forged stone carved by Uchua was easily distinguished from the ancient stone as a modern creation. Tiny pieces of metal from the tool Uchua used were readily visible. The shallow scratches and chips were clean and angled. There was no patina or film of oxidation on the stone. No microorganisms or saltpeter were found on the stone. The laboratory conclusion was that the stone was of recent manufacture. Just like a counterfeit dollar bill, the known forgery was easily distinguished from the authentic stone found in the tomb. You can easily tell the difference. Long story short, the Eka stones, they show pictures of dinosaurs and humans together, even pictures of uh, dinosaurs being hunted and domesticated. That's on the Eka stones, and some of those Eka stones can be proven to be ancient carvings carved by ancient man. How in the world did they carve that without having seen those things, without having participated in those things? The evolutionist has to answer that, and they can't. So that's my number two most favorite Christian evidence, the stones. I highly recommend that you look those up. It's really, really interesting. All right, the moment we've been waiting for. Number one, soft tissue in dinosaur bones okay for this one i'm going to reference an article by eric lyons on the apologetics website again i'll put all of these in the show notes and this one's titled more soft dinosaur tissue this is number one because this just completely blows the evolutionary theories out of the water when it comes to dinosaurs okay from that article more soft dinosaur tissue by eric lyons In March 2005, paleontologists were stunned, and he has this in bold, stunned to find that the soft tissue of a dinosaur was preserved within a fossil from a Tyrannosaurus rex. And then he uh, references Boyle, 2007. Emphasis added. Dr. Mary Schwitzer and her colleagues reported the find in Science Magazine describing the demineralized T. rex, femur, and tibia fragments as highly fibrous, flexible, and so resilient that when stretched, returns to its original shape. Schwitzer uh, et al., 2005. And also Schwitzer et al., 2007. Stop right there. That's amazing. A dinosaur bone. That is preserved in such a way, the vast majority of fossils that you will ever find are hard rock, okay? This bone was still fairly new enough in the sense that it of its preservation that it could bend and, and move and be be flexed, flexible, resilient, stretched, and then it can return to its original shape. That is absolutely amazing. And it's a dinosaur bone. Amazingly, uh, returning to the article, amazingly, the researchers were even able to squeeze, and that's in bold, they were able to squeeze round, dark, red to deep brown microscopic structures from the presumed T. rex blood vessels. Perkins, 2005. Scientists were shocked. Such a thing had never been seen before. How could a 70-million-year-old Tyrannosaurus rex bone still contain soft tissue? Now, if you're not familiar much with biology, what is soft tissue? Essentially, soft tissue is flesh and blood, okay? So you've got bone, and then you've got soft tissue, flesh and blood. blood. It might be blood, it might be skin, it might be muscle, something of that nature, okay? That's what they found on a dinosaur bone. How in the world could flesh and blood survive millions of years? It's, it's actually completely impossible, okay? This proves that these dinosaur bones must be preserved from the fairly recent past. Not millions and millions of years, but at the most, hundreds or thousands of years. It has to be. Okay, let's keep reading this article. The article quotes uh, Alan Boyle, who was the MSNBC science editor. They quote him from July 24th, 2007. Today, paleontologists are still stunned, not only to find material that looks like dinosaur cartilage, blood vessels, blood cells, and bone cells, but to see the stuff in so many different specimens, and it has that last part in bold. Paleontologist Christy Rogers of McAllister College said, it's not just a fluke occurrence. It's something that's more pervasive in the fossil record, as quoted uh, in Boyle. Then he goes down uh, a little bit further. He says, suggesting that these bones sat around for at least 70 million years, or 25.55 billion days in porous sandstone without completely fossilizing or decomposing literally is unbelievable. A much better, more logical explanation is that dinosaurs once lived on Earth in the not-too-distant past only a few hundred or thousand years ago, not 60-plus million years ago. If soft, flexible, resilient, highly fibrous dinosaur tissue in many different specimens will not convince the gainsayer, what would? Amen to that. One more thing I want to talk about um, regarding my number one Christian evidence point, soft tissue that has been discovered in dinosaur bones, is you need to look up this man, Mark Armitage. Mark Armitage, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. He was a researcher with California State University, Northridge, and he was fired because he found soft tissue in a triceratops fossil. He was told, quote, we are not going to tolerate your religion in this department simply because he found soft tissue in a triceratops bone. Hmm. Do you think that the evolutionists realized the ramifications of what he had found and what other scientists are finding? Yeah, they realize it. Okay? They realize that the Earth can't be millions of years old like they've been telling us. This scientist, Mark Armitage, uh, he he claims to be a Christian. Uh, I don't know what his theology is, but... He posted these findings, or he published these findings, in a peer-reviewed scientific journal. Here's the name of that uh, that research journal, or the research article: "Soft Sheets of Fibular Bone from a Fossil of the su- Supraorbital Horn of the Dinosaur Triceratops horridus" by Mark Armitage and also Kevin Anderson in Acta Histochemica. Okay, Acta Histochemica. That is the article, a peer-reviewed article, posted in a scientific journal, proving that we have found soft tissue of a Triceratops horn, and he was fired for that. And there was a big lawsuit over it. But anyways, that shows you just how serious this is, just how important it is for us to understand the soft tissue, in dinosaur bones, and realize how it can completely turn the evolutionary theories uh, upon its head. Okay, this is absolutely crucial. That's why it's my number one on my list of Christian evidences. Well, I've enjoyed talking about this today. Um, I'll include that link. Uh, to that scientific journal, by the way, in the show notes as well. I'll include all of these Apologetic Press articles, the links to those in the show notes also, and uh, just appreciate you for listening to the podcast. I'm so thankful that we've gotten through another season of the Everyday Christian Podcast. Season number two is in the books, and I'm so thankful again for you listening uh, to the podcast each week and helping this grow. I'm greatly appreciative. And I hope that you'll join us next season, season number three, our first season uh, with Scattered Abroad Network, coming in January of next year, 2021. Thank you. God bless. And I hope that you will do your best to be an everyday Christian. Let's remember that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Be the everyday Christian.